Wanting to incorporate more digital tools into your closing process, but not sure where to start? ProperSign is the remote online notarization platform with solutions for e-signing, e-notarization, identity verification, and more. So whether you need to perform a RON or RIN or anything in between, ProperSign has been called surprisingly simple to use by some of the title industry's pickiest professionals. For a limited time, you can get a 30-day trial of the tool completely free. To get this offer, visit propersign.com backslash safe dash secure dash closing. That's propersign.com backslash safe dash secure dash closing. Now, back to Title Talks. Following the Facebook and Cambridge Analytica scandal, the European Union responded with the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, to provide more transparency and control for consumers over their private information. California has passed a similar law, the California Consumer Privacy Act, or CCPA, which has been dubbed GDPR Lite, to address the same issue. How do these types of laws affect the real estate and settlement services industry? Hi, I'm Amanda Farrell from PropLogix, bringing you another Title Talks. Today, I'm speaking to Elizabeth Riley, Senior Privacy Counsel, Compliance and Regulation at Fidelity National Financial to talk more about data privacy, federal requirements of title agents, and resources to help you get started on or improve your current information security program. Here's that interview. Hello, Elizabeth. Hi. Hi. Can you hear me okay? I can, yes. Well, thank you so much for taking some time to speak with me today. I really appreciate it. <laughs> so before we get started with the questions, do you want to go ahead and just introduce yourself? Tell me a little bit about yourself, your role. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a Senior Privacy Counsel and Regulatory and Compliance Counsel at Fidelity National Financial. In that role, I manage the company's privacy program. I'm also involved in advising our information security team and other corporate control groups or vendor management group on um, compliance obligations around privacy and data security. I've been with Fidelity for over eight years now, getting close to nine, but it's it's a great company to work for and you know, really enjoy what I do. It's a dynamic area right now, so there's there's a lot to a lot to do. And you're also on the Ulta Committee for Data Privacy, that's correct? I am, yes. So I'm co-chairing the committee for the Data Privacy Task Force and Data Privacy Executive Committee. And can you explain to me what kind of data is considered private information? I don't know a whole lot about this topic. Yeah, so that that is maybe a loaded question, and there's not one single answer to that question because it's. I mean, it's dependent on the number of factors. You know, there there are many different privacy laws out there, both federal and state. And you know, if you're in the European Union, you've got laws over there as well. Uh, and each law typically carries with it its own definition of what private information is, what personal information is, you know, what personally identifiable information is. So there's no singular definition. And I think a lot of the laws within the United States that we're used to um, or are familiar with I, identify types of information that may be sensitive, such as social security number or financial account information or biometric or health data. That's private information. But there are other legal definitions that are a lot more expansive, potentially applicable to our industry. The Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act, which is a, a federal law that applies to financial institutions, uh, but it includes 
title agents and settlement service providers, it contains an expansive definition which considers any information that a consumer gives us, gives the company, in the context of providing a product or service, so conducting a settlement or issuing a title policy, it considers that to be personal information unless it's public record data. And CCPA, California Consumer Privacy Act, has an also expansive yet different definition. So you often hear privacy law, it's described as a patchwork of laws, and that's because you have so many different state and federal laws that implicate privacy or require certain data protections or give privacy rights, and they all kind of define private and privacy a little different. And working with Fidelity, does Fidelity as an underwriter, do you have specific guidelines or best practices that you require your agents to follow? The company doesn't have specific guidelines that we require of our agents around personal information. I mean, we have a corporate privacy policy. So for our wholly owned agencies and, and our title insurers, obviously they would adhere to the policies and, and the best practices required of them in those documents. But for our agents, I mean, typically within our agency contract is the obligation to adhere to applicable laws. And so that would include any privacy laws that would be applicable to the agent. And we support you know, and are a subscriber to Alta's best practices. And the third pillar is data privacy and security. And so certainly encourage our agents to adhere to the Alta best practices around privacy and data security and, um, you know, participate in, in the marketplace in terms of identifying vendors who can help in that space. And can you drill down a little bit uh, into the Alta best practices in terms of data privacy? What sort of specifics? Obviously, you don't have to name them all, but what are some top of mind things related to that, that all title agents or even realtors or real estate agents or people who are maybe interested in real estate investing, all that kind of stuff? What are some things that people in the real estate transaction should know? Really, I think that the core of the the best practices around you know, data security and privacy are establishing an information security program and taking a risk-based approach to doing so. So we all have our core business functions and, and we'll collect or process personal information in the context of providing title services or settlement services. And it's understanding, you know, what information we collect, okay, how are we going to secure that information? Um, how are we protecting it when we receive it, when we store it, when we share it? Do we have a record retention policy? that would require us to dispose of the information once we don't need it anymore. So those are the fundamentals, but it's really driven by a risk-based approach. So you understand well, what risks, you know, are present depending upon whether you're using you know, a cloud service provider to store your data or you're often communicating out sensitive or personal information. It's making sure you have controls in place to mitigate against those specific risks. Um, and I know that email, uh, business email compromise is a huge issue and that's a point of weakness in a lot of real estate transactions. And that's where wire fraud essentially comes into play. What are some of the tools out there to help prevent that? I know it's part people, part process. But what would you say to that in terms of both educating realtors, educating consumers, and then also are there particular technology tools that you would say should be implemented within the process? Yeah, well, I mean, you're exactly right. It is part people and, and part process. And so as you point out, that's why you have to have the educational piece as well as utilizing, you know, the right tools to protect, you know, the emails and the, the email systems. Around the um, education piece, I mean, we have a, a wire fraud 
group that regularly educates at, at title agent seminars and, and presents to realtors on the risk of business email compromise and wire fraud and helps present to them, you know, how you identify a potential business email compromise or potential wire fraud, you know, what are the red flags to look for, um, you know, educating on the requirements, always verify if you receive wire instructions, verify very, via a known good phone number that the wire instructions are those of the party that you're expecting to send your wire to. Uh, never rely on email communication to verify wire instructions. And yeah, the, the security measures you can take as well. You know, I'm not a technical expert or an information security expert, so I don't know if there's one single tool that's necessarily better than others. I know if you are going to be transmitting sensitive information or personal information, you you always want to secure emails. I think there are probably a lot of tools out there that could allow you to do that. I think there's also a lot of tools offered by common email service providers that can provide encryption or secure an email in transit. And it's just really, you know, the realtors, title agents, those involved in the transaction really need to look into those tools and, and find a solution that helps ensure the security of the transaction. I, I think multi-factor authentication is another kind of tool in the tool belt when you're talking about technical things you can do to help prevent and mitigate against wire fraud. Because if, if you have to have a code, you know, sent to you by text or some other authenticator before you can log into your email account, that's just one more thing. You know, the bad guys won't have that because they don't have your cell phone or they don't have the mechanism by which you're receiving that code. So they can't hack into your, your email. You know, the, the core email providers do provide for multi-factor authentication with their email. It, it's just, it's up to the person, you know, who owns the email mailbox to adopt use of that. So it's just learning what tools are out there and, and utilizing whatever encryption tools, whatever multi-factor tools that address these issues. And then, you know, the consumer, that's often the hardest part in terms of the education piece because we're in the industry and we've seen for a long time, you know, several years at least, the schemes. And so we've become very familiar with the red flags and the risks. But for a consumer who may not have sold or bought a house in a while or re refinanced, there may not be that awareness. And so we, we seek to educate them at the outset of the transaction regarding the risk and regarding, you know, the fact that we'll never send them a second set of wire instructions. They should always call to verify um, and hope through that, you know, that that builds that awareness. But it, yeah, it's certainly an issue that, you know, our industry, the real estate industry is really a target of right now. Right. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned a, a federal regulation related to data privacy. What was that called again? GLBA, the, the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act. And it's been around for almost 20 years. And, and really what it requires of financial institutions and it defines financial institutions fairly broadly. So it covers certain, you know, it covers settlement services, it covers issuing a title insurance policy or, or product, so a commitment or other um, insurance document. And, and what it requires of financial institutions, so of title agents, of title insurers, settlement service providers, um, is that it is two things really. There's a privacy rule and there's a safeguards rule. And so what the privacy rule does is it establishes the obligation on the part of a, a title agent or a settlement service provider to provide a privacy notice to customers at the outset of the transaction, telling customers about their information sharing and usage practices. And, and there are limitations within the privacy rule regarding how financial institutions can use and reuse the personal information they collect. 
in the context of title insurance or settlement service transaction. And then the other side of GLBA is the safeguards rule. And, and what that requires is that financial institutions, which would include title agents and settlement service providers, have written information security programs. And those information security programs are supposed to have a, a physical component, administrative component, um, and technical component to safeguard personal information. So you've got to have policies in place, you know, administrative policies and training that say, you know, how we're going to protect the information, technical safeguards. So we talked about MFA, we talked about encryption, you know, making sure the data is secure from that standpoint. And then physical, if you've got sensitive information, you're locking it up at the end of the day. You've got locked office doors and, and you know, limited access to your offices. So all of that's required by GLBA. And so this regulation at the federal level, is it not quite stringent enough to some states feel? And is that why California has decided to pass the CCPA? How, how do those regulations differ? And what's the point of having, I guess, a state regulation in addition to this federal one? That's, that's a great question. And, and I, I think you would find regulators who would agree that GLBA doesn't go far enough it, because it is, I mean, it imposes requirements, but there's some there's some allowance, you know, for interpretation in, in terms of taking a risk-based approach. I mean, what does it mean for a particular organization? You know, technical, physical, administrative safeguards may look different for a smaller organization than a much larger information, um, you know, if, if the risks are different, you know, if there's different limited personal information collected or kind of the technical resources can be to scale. I think there are some regulators, you know, New York, for example, recently enacted a, a regulation which has more prescriptive requirements. So it's not look at your risks and, and develop a program kind of built on these three tenants that addresses that risk, but it identifies certain things that you must do. You must deploy multi-factor authentication. You must deploy, you know, access controls and, and other certain specifics that, you know, the current laws haven't gone that in depth. And that, you know, California does contain a carve out for information collected pursuant to GLBA. So in a sense, it recognizes that GLBA does provide some protections, but, you know, to your point, not enough, you know, so they still want to make sure that financial institutions are, you know, re-examining, taking a look at information that they would collect that may be outside GLBA and ensuring that that's subject to those same protections. And that, that California consumers, you know, that the number of rights that they have under the law um, can still pursue those rights for other types of information, if not necessarily financial information, other types of information that we may be collecting, whether it's, you know, online information or geolocation data, stuff like that. So it sounds like the GLBA, the federal regulation, hasn't really kept up with the way that businesses do businesses. Would that be fair to say? I mean, it's, yeah, the law has been around for 19, 19, 20 years. So you're right. I mean, a lot has changed since then. I I will say that the federal regulators that are responsible for enforcing the law, they do update guidance on compliance for financial institutions. And that guidance has has kept up um, in terms of, you know, identifying risks around cloud service providers and, and use of third parties and, and things like that. Um, but, but I think what what the CC, what CCPA is trying to solve um, that perhaps, you know, GLBA wasn't as focused on, I mean, I think there's a certain element of overlap, but really it's transparency in, in um, making people aware of what you're doing with their data and also the ability for people to dictate what 
companies can and cannot do with the data. Although, I mean, it's important to note the financial industry was never the target of the California Consumer Privacy Act. The target was tech companies, social media platforms that, you know, it's a free service because in providing you their free service, they're collecting a lot of data, which they can then use and sell to others. And there's certainly some value there. And it's then, I think they're the target, you know, regulators want to hold them accountable and want people to be able to better understand what the social media companies, what the tech companies are doing with their personal information and, and giving them an ability to limit some of the activity around the personal information. But though CCPA wasn't intended to specifically target our industry, you know, our industry along with many others, you know, got swept up in its scope. I mean, if you're a business doing business in California, then you could potentially be obligated to meet the CCPA requirements, regardless of your industry. Right. Yes. I, I think I read some bullet points on the CCPA and it mentioned that even if you're not a business located in California, if you are gathering any sort of data on residents in California, then the rules might still apply to you. That That's correct, right? Yeah, that's correct. The law defines business and it's a multi-part definition. So yeah, if you're doing business in California, if you meet a certain monetary threshold in uh, in terms of your, you know, your annual revenue, you could be subject to the law. But it because it's a multi-part definition, and there's some, you know, different folks to it. You know, it's definitely something that a company, a title agent or attorney or, a, you know, realtor would want to take a close look or engage counsel to help them look at whether or not they do have compliance obligations under the law. Are there any specific regulations related to the title industry or to the real estate industry in general that real estate agents and title agents do need to be more aware of? Do you see any sort of, I guess, mistakes that are often made or, or issues that come up? with companies or or agents that you work with at Fidelity at all? I mean, I can't say that, you know, we regularly come across mistakes or or issues, you know, when it comes to this privacy, cybersecurity. I mean, you know, you read the news and, and security incidents happen. It's just the world that we're in today. And even companies with good security practices or good privacy practices aren't immune to potential attacks. I think, you know, what's key for the real estate industry and the title industry to pay attention to are just ensuring that they've looked at information security, they've looked at business continuity, you know, disaster recovery. If if something were to happen, have the controls in place, have an information security program in place in an effort to prevent being an easy target of an incident. But then if should an incident occur, already have a plan in place to address it and recover from it. So I that's something that it can be hard if you're a smaller entity, it can be hard to have the, you know, the resources or locate the resources to do that, to build that program, to build those plans. But there are a lot of resources out there. I know all has, and we now have a data privacy website um, available if you go to the alta.org page and, and that gives some good help on guidance on CCPA and, and privacy practices, best practices. The Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, ftc.gov has a lot of great resources for small businesses. So they're out there, you know, free resources are out there. Certainly in, in the best interest of, you know, any business to, to take a look at those, take a look at what type of information security program they need to develop and, you know, and, and put that into place before before an incident happens. Right, definitely. And then do you know or do you think we should expect other states to sort of follow suit in the steps of California and make similar laws like they have? 
I think that will be the inevitable outcome. I mean, there were a number of states that introduced similar laws to CCPA last year, um, the last legislative session. None of those laws, uh, Nevada had a, a limited scope law that's generally not going to apply to our industry that, that was enacted. But for the most part, most of those proposed state laws, um, you know, didn't cross the finish line. And I, I think a big reason for that was that regulators in other states, legislators in other states wanted to watch and see what happens in California, you know, how it goes when the law becomes effective January 1 of next year. And then, you know, build either a similar law um, based upon California's success or, or tweak their law to accomplish wherever they believe California had gaps. But we, yeah, a number of states, I mean, Texas, Washington, Oregon, uh, New York, Illinois, probably 10 or so states had proposed very similar legislation last year. So it's very likely we'll see much more of that um, in the next legislative session. And you mentioned Alta and FTC. Are there any other resources that you would suggest for title agents or real estate agents or anyone who's maybe looking to start a title company, resources that they can get to help them implement the right process and training for their employees? I really think, I mean, the FTC resources are a great place to start. The resources are called Start With Security. And so somebody who wants to start a title agency or already has one can just Google FTC Start With Security and quickly pull down the materials. You know, the Alta resources, the pillars and the, um, the new data privacy page are a great place as well. I don't know. I'm not familiar with whether the National Association of Realtors would have similar resources. Um, there's many consultants out there. I'm not going to name a particular consultant. As, as being good or better than others, but there's a lot in the space right now, I think, targeting both big business and smaller ones to help folks and help businesses kind of grapple with the changing regulatory environment and the risks when it comes to, you know, privacy and cybersecurity. Is there anything else that you would like to say about data privacy? Anything in particular that you want to impart on the people listening? No, I mean, I, I, I guess other than, you know, if it's, if you haven't already started down the path, do start today. You know, whether there is, you know, there's a law directly applicable to you, you may not be in California. And so um, CCPA and, you know, all its requirements may not be relevant to you at this point. But given the way that, you know, states are going and regulatory activity is going, you know, the National Association of Insurance Commissioners has adopted a model law regarding, you know, cybersecurity that's been adopted by a number of states. I mean, whether or not the regulation is there now, it will come. Um, and whether or not the risk, you know, has materialized yet, you know, in terms of security, it exists. And so, you know, I recommend that everyone just start today, find some resources, get familiar with what an information security program would look like and uh, seek to implement, you know, using the resources that you have something so that you're not caught flat-footed should, you know, a regulator inquire or a security incident happen. Well, thank you so much for taking time to speak with me. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Have a good All day. All right. You too. Bye. Thanks again to Elizabeth for speaking with me on this important topic. While real estate and title companies aren't the specific targets of this legislation, best practices still demand we protect private data with the proper safeguards and policies. For resources on this, be sure to visit the links from the FTC and Alta. For realtors, you can stay updated with the latest on CCPA and private data protection in general at the National Association of Realtors. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, happy closings.